Opening the 27th in the number of theaters in Chicago is quite a remarkable film, Taxi Driver. It's directed by Martin Scorsese, you recall. Mean Streets was his film. Powerful study of a community in New York, split in cultures, and Alice uh, doesn't live here anymore as well. And Robert Nero is Travis Pickle. The writer is Paul Schrader, and both of my guests, the director and the writer, uh, two, uh, I'm sure, wholly different people in working together in this powerful film. That'll be the subject of this conversation for the next hour or so. And so, in a moment, Taxi Driver and uh, Martin Scorsese, the director, and Paul Schrader, the writer, after this message. I thought of these two songs, wholly uh, different in nature. The gay song from uh, On the Town, uh, Bernstein Music, New York, New York's a hell of a town that became the basis of Fancy Free, the ballet, and uh, Chris Christopherson's Help Me Make It Through the Night. In a way, in some strange way, this film Taxi Driver deals with this theme, does it not? The loneliness and a huge wild animal sort of metropolis, doesn't it? Paul Schrader. Yes. Uh, yeah, thank you, Stutz. The uh, Well, we just came from New York, and where, uh, so we were accused uh, of uh, defaming uh, that great city, and uh, which uh, really came as quite a surprise, because it's not so much a study of New York as it is a study of one disintegrating personality. And uh, I do not believe that uh, the New York, the city, you know, creates people such as the protagonist, the protagonist of the film, or the center of the film. I, I, I hesitate to call him a hero. He's a man of a disintegrating, self-destructive personality. And he is not created by the city. It is, it is the people who have created the cities. Uh, maybe I'm still a Calvinist, but I can't help but think that the evil is inherent in the people who create the cities rather than the cities themselves. We'll come back to the matter of his Calvinism <laughs> later on, because this, <laughs> this film has a strong theological touch to it. Martin Scorsese, you well know that. Yes, yes. But mine is Catholic. <laughs> so Catholic we, added, we added lots of candles in the scene, so that's, that's what we did. Uh, no, I was very much attracted to it because uh, it was, uh, I always say almost as if I had written it was the closest thing to something that I would have written myself, you know, about certain feelings, feelings that are, feelings of repressed rage and repressed uh, sexual uh, things that, are, that, that that kind of explode, you know. Uh, and it, we try to, over a period of several, two years, almost, or two, period of a year, two and a half years, really, try to get the picture off the ground um, and stuck with it all the way down the line because I, was, I felt very strongly that I wanted to say those things and maybe by putting them up on the screen, you exercise them, you know, get them out and both of us kind of hope that it's the last time we have to make this kind of a picture in terms of our own feelings about ourselves, you know? And we use Travis uh, uh, to represent, he re kind of represents me the dark part of myself. Travis, you know? this is <coughs> Travis Bickle, who is a, just a, just a taxi cab, we say just a housewife, you know, just a, just a taxi cab driver yeah. in New York, yeah. a certain guy, as the part De Niro plays. But uh, that doesn't mean you necessarily get rid of those feelings. It's, uh, I had, I had a, a violent reaction in New York yesterday from uh, a friend of mine who's a critic, which I remain nameless, and an associate of his, who was also a critic, who claimed and uh, claimed to claimed to feel that uh, they didn't want to feel those things about themselves, and they felt that it was terrible to feel those things about themselves after seeing the film. They don't want to look at that part of themselves. And I said, "Well, that's I, I, that's really basically, you know, what can I say? That's what the movie is about." You know. Before we go to, to Travis himself and also to Paul Schrader and Paul's own background and Calvinism, because this guy Travis is a Puritan to me. He's a Puritan. Well, suppose we have to go a little further back. Mm -hmm. Yes, New York City. It's, it's more than New York City. It's any large any metropolitan large, place, Right, exactly. 
exactly. Where, where ta- it has sort of a wildness, a craziness at work. The reason the reason we used a taxi dra- a taxi cab is because it well, uh, New York uh, is the best place for taxi cabs in terms of and it's right. a metaphor for the yeah. And uh, I mean, uh, I have never driven a taxi, and I have only lived in New York uh, uh, from time to time. I'm not a New Yorker. Uh, the reason the film is called Taxi Driver is because it came, it was written at a certain point, a low point in my life when I was not involved in the motion picture industry in any way. And I was uh, living uh, essentially uh, in a very manic depressed stage where I was found myself driving around a lot at night, drinking, not being able to sleep, going to pornography, uh, in, in that uh, self-accelerating, self-destructive syndrome uh, of depression. And uh, fortunately, I started to get pain in my stomach, which ultimately proved to be a, a small ulcer. And I went to the hospital and broke the syndrome. When I came out of the hospital, uh, the idea of the taxi cab hit me. I said, this is the metaphor I have been living. This is the metaphor I'm looking for. Here's a man who is uh, totally cut off in the midst of the crowd, a man who will take anybody, any place for money, a man in front of whom people will do anything. He is regarded as an automaton. Yet he is in the middle of the crowd. He is the perfect metaphor for what I was feeling, being in the middle of of a mass, yet perpetually, but increasingly isolated. And uh, that is what the character is going through. And his isolation uh, increases uh, as the movie uh, uh, progresses. He becomes, he's the invisible man. Mm -hmm. You see, we think of Ralph Ellison's The Black as the Invisible Man. There are many invisible people, and Travis Bickle is the invisible man, as you were in your own life. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that, I mean, the, the period at which I'm speaking of was not that prolonged, otherwise I don't think I would have even ever written a script. But uh, it was a period of about a month, and uh, I, I don't think I really talked, I mean, I can't remember anyone I even talked to during that period. You know, you, you just lose your desire to even communicate. Yeah. You don't even hear people. Martin Scorsese, this is a theme that I know has possessed you for some time. Yeah, yeah, it really is. Uh, Paul's feelings, I guess, in that month period was really like a compression of a lot of things. I, but my, my case, uh, maybe because because I am a New Yorker and because I've been brought up Lower East Side and because it's a more of a community feeling, uh, those feelings come and go. They come and go, and they come maybe periods of three days, maybe period of a week. Um, I know uh, my worst period of that feeling. That's uh, and this is interesting because it's one of the reasons why I grabbed the script and really wanted, really hung on to it. For my first, my first uh, few months, first six months in Los Angeles, making a transition, living in Los Angeles, was was uh, like like Travis. It was uh, it, it was could, bizarre. It could be Chicago too. Yeah, anywhere. And it could be. In fact, we're talking about our society. Absolutely, pretty much right now. I mean, even Rome to a certain yeah. extent right now. It's, 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 uh, you know. We're also talking about craziness, aren't we? For the moment, I use the word craziness in the general sense, and I'm thinking about Martin's earlier film, Mean Streets, and there's a guy named Johnny Boy in it, mm-hmm. who could be classified by some as a certified nut. De Niro played this role, too. Yeah. Suppose we hear you commenting about <laughs> it at that time. Okay. Just to connect this with our friend Travis Bickle. This is an extension. The point of Johnny Boy is very important. Johnny Boy is a guy, everybody says, well, he's stupid, he's crazy, what does Charlie care for? He's not stupid, he's not crazy. I mean, if he's crazy, it may, he may be a little crazy in terms of, in terms of uh, blowing up mailboxes. In reality, we tried to blow up a, a telephone booth, because that's what we used to do. We used to blow up telephone booths, see? But we couldn't get that technically, because we didn't have that much money. But, so we blew up a mailbox. But the point is that Johnny Boy didn't <clears throat> wasn't a guy who uh, 
was totally crazy, and uh, Johnny Boy knew what he was doing. It's the old difference between being crazy and being stupid. Just because you're crazy doesn't mean you're stupid, you know. And Johnny, in a way, knew what he was doing in that he was lashing out against against these codes, against this way of life, because he wanted to get out. Against he, what way of against, life? Well, against, he's a rebel against everything. He's sort of an anarchist against everything in terms of, in terms of uh, uh, the whole society and even the uncle and the uncle. And so he is lashing out. What hit me here was lashing out against what at the moment was overwhelming. Well, Taxi Driver takes place in Johnny Boy's mind. That's the difference between the films. I mean, I, I had not seen Mean Streets. I did not know Marty or Bobby at the time I wrote it. But uh, one of the terrifying things about Taxi Driver, and people have a tendency to think it is far more violent than it is, simply because the movie exists within the space of a man who is becoming increasingly schizophrenic and crazy. And it offers you no other view of life. And so that you begin to share his hostilities, his prejudice, his racism, his sexism, and uh, that is what is terrifying to uh, most people. It, uh, there is no sequence, like at the end of Psycho, where you pull back and say, this is yes. why he's crazy. In fact, that's what the guys were arguing about. They said that we felt complicitous in the film because we got so involved with him. We felt we were accomplices in his racism and his hostility and his anger and his murders. There's something else in the film. Let's stick with this theme. There's something else in the film I find terribly important. That is need. It's a portrait mm -hmm. of great need. Before we come to that, you said you've been attacked by this film. You've been attacked because as though you were saying that y y you are proposing John, uh, this guy, Travis, solution of violence as a way of releasing his tensions. You're merely saying, as by the way, in great art, this has always been the case, whether it's, whether, whether it's Dostoevsky, or whether it's an early Algren book, or whether it's Flannery O'Connor's short story, or it's whether Franz Fanon saying, when somebody is tense and taut, as Paul was in that moment, the release suddenly is almost orgasmic, you know? Mm -hmm. That's what you're saying, too, yeah. aren't you? Well, th this, this man is, has cut has been cut and is cutting himself off. Because he, it's important in the film, he is the one who's turning up the flame under his own pressure cooker. Uh, even more than the city, he is driving himself up, pushing himself to the end. And he is cutting himself off. You know, he cuts himself off from, from music, from news, from politics, right. uh, from the people around him. He, he, it's a, that's, that terrifying uh, uh, descending spiral of loneliness that people get into. I think that one scene, uh, Martin, what Paul was just saying, cuts himself off. He meets this girl who was in another class. She's a middle-class mm -hmm. girl, very all standards, attractive and literate, and he's semi-literate. He wants to take her someplace. It's a pornographic movie. <laughs> mm -hmm. He doesn't take her to make her hot or anything. It's the only thing he knows. Yeah. Isn't that the idea? Yeah. The isolation right. we're talking about is this is it. This is the box he's in. Right. He thinks it's a natural thing to take her to. That's half of it. That's, a, that's another part, too. The other half is in the unconscious urge, which is he creates a situation where he knows he will be rejected so he can reaffirm his own vile attitude toward himself and his society so that he goes to a girl who, he, who is better than him, who he knows will reject him. She does not reject him initially. So then he puts her in a situation well, where he has to reject him. This is not a conscious mechanism. It's part of the unconscious mechanism of, uh, uh, of that self-destructive personality. And there's even, there's even a, a, another part of it, too, in the sense that subconsciously he would like to make love to her, you see. And he would, he doesn't know how to go about it. Uh, he would, when she turns to him and says, you know, this is as exciting to me as saying, let's whatever, you know, mm -hmm. he gets very, very upset. He gets very upset because it's almost as if she read his innermost thoughts, but he still doesn't even realize that. You know, he still doesn't. So he's, he's trapped three ways all around. So we come to what appears to be inevitable. 
in his isolation from the rest of humankind in this huge city in which it's pretty wild, nobody seems to care, really, something must happen, and the aspect of now actual violence by means of a gun comes into play, and suddenly he begins to come alive, doesn't he? Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, one very gratifying review we had in New York was in the Wall Street Journal, where a woman said that uh, this film was the closest thing to uh, The Stranger, the Mersault uh, uh, hero of The Stranger that American movies had created. And uh, like I said, it was very gratifying because some part of the model that we're trying to create in the film is try to take that existential hero, The Stranger, the hero from Notes of the Underground, uh, Roquentin from Nausea, certain heroes of films like Le Foufoulet, Life Upside Down, and say what happens to him when he comes into the, the urban street environment of America. And the dilemma of should I exist, and uh, I don't want to rob too much of this from Marty, but I, I think that what did happen, what happens when the problem of should I exist, he, he's not he's not aware enough to solve that problem on his own terms. The European at the end of Le Fouvolet, when he finally decides I should not exist, simply puts the gun to his head and kills himself. This man forces society to answer that problem for him. He he creates his drama not on his own body but on the stage of human society, and he tries to die uh, uh, in the stage of politics or in the, in the, in, in the stage of a fight, and uh, the irony of the film is that society cheats him out of the thing he wanted most. You know, he does not die. He tries to, mm -hmm. but does not. Society, you, your ending, of course, is ironic. Well, we'll come to that in a minute. I felt there were two endings, <laughs> yeah. of course, you know. We'll come to that. But the, the, there's an irony here at the end when he's recognized for an act of violence that he committed. See, uh, Paul speaks of an existential hero and he speaks of Camus. Long before that was written, Bigger Thomas, you know, uh, Richard Wright, the first serious black novelist, about Bigger Thomas, who is not recognized, who is nobody, just as Travis Pickle is nobody, but when he committed the act of violence, everything was trained on him. The police light suddenly says, they know me. This is also part of it, isn't it? Yeah. It, uh, you know, it gets down to uh, you know, proving an, a certain act becomes definitive. It, it's really rather uh, terrifying. Uh, I, I think it's a, a reflection of the relative youth of our culture that he cannot act out this drama on himself. Uh, the, uh, you know, if he was a Japanese, you know, he would. Uh, the difference between an American and Japanese at this level, the Japanese will close the window and kill himself. The American, when he cracks up, will open the window and kill someone else. And uh, he's not mature enough to act out the drama on himself, so he acts it out on the rest of us. Martin, I'm thinking about yourself, you know, this film attracting you in Paul's script, and this whole idea of the huge mass gathered a city. New York is the great metaphor and the reality of it could be any city or a society right. and the loneliness uh, the isolated single non-person really in a way yeah the whole, the whole thing with the, the city well for me of course again is, as you say it's, it could be any city but um, uh, New York for me is uh, obviously very special you know it's uh, something I know completely inside out so it's I'm thinking of something else for personal reasons because of past work the job and the person, the work and the person. Uh, 
He's a taxi cab driver. And he becomes, as you point out, you don't, but it's there in the film. The machine, is he is well, not he there. And so things it. happen in the back. He's not that's there. Why, it's a black why, domestic at home. He's not there. That's why he starts, the, the first time you actually see uh, the cab is in a series of shots that kind of cut the cab off in strange angles. Um, uh, that makes the cab almost some sort of special monster in itself. Like, 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 like a. Uh, it's always disorienting too. You see the outside window first. You see uh, over the hood and passes theater marquees. You see wheels, and then it combines the whole picture of him driving the cab. And the shots of him are like mug shots, yeah. police yeah. mug shots of him driving the cab. Yeah. And he's talking about all the animals coming out at night. You know, so yeah. it's it's almost like some sort of monster created the machine. He becomes part of it. Literally, is part of it. You so know, a- as the film opened, I didn't know what it was. I saw the smoke. It could have been a turbine. Yeah. It was a machine. It was something. A result of technology. You see, we're yeah. it's a machine, isn't it? it was kind of and <laughs> invariably, you find uh, the machine. It's polluting. We know that. We're aware of that, of course. And the guy in it is there. Yeah. And he's part of it. And so the very opening sets it almost, doesn't it? He's almost an automatic. Well, we did a very interesting TV show uh, in New York last week where they had brought in 15 cab drivers who had seen <laughs> the film. And the function was, of course, to to put us on the spot. They all were to say one or two things. What surprised us all was that pr- that uh, what came out of these cabbies was primarily hostility, anger. You know, I mean, whether they liked the film or not, they were just angry. And uh, a lot of them spoke about the conditions in which they work, you know, and they said, it is a terrible job. That's how the garage, the garage smells, it stinks. You know, the door of my cab is broke. Uh, nobody cares about me. They'll do anything, you know, when you're in the cab. Nobody likes you. Just like that. And, and I was sitting next to Vince Sardi, who was there representing the Hospitality League of New York. <laughs> and uh, This is a very funny scene you described. And, Black and, humor. And, and between breaks, he leaned over to me and he said, it's the same thing with waiters. He says, <laughs> he says that all, all people in service positions have enormous hostility. You got it. See, obviously, this is a film that's called Taxi Driver. But it's a film about more than a taxi oh, driver. Sure. Yeah. It's a film about all the repressed hostilities and the needs and the loneliness. And this is an isolation, isn't it? That's, the, that's interesting about the cab driver. Well, of course, <laughs> which proves you, you, you hit the target. You going to say something, Mark? No, no. I was just, I was, I was, I was agreeing. I was agreeing in the sense that the, the more, the more they, what was it? The more they were complaining about the hostility, the more angry they got. It was very interesting. You know, we're also talking about a fantasy life here too, aren't we? Mm-hmm. Uh, this guy Travis Bick to make him. The, we opened with the song "Help Me Make It Through the Night." It's Chris Christopherson, I know of whom you're fond. He was in yes. Alice, and even here, his album appears. His album appears, and yeah. that, that was from the original script. Huh? That's from the original script. That's why it was so odd. Yeah, that's that interesting. Whole, whole oh, you didn't sequence. know that. He, no, he, 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 I didn't know. The line put in the original script because she used the line from the uh, song where she, about uh, a man of contradictions. And we wanted to put that line in the movie because the movie is full of contradictions, and it's yeah. just a way of telling the audience, says, look, folks, there's going to be some contradictions so coming. Don't get started. Right? Don't, don't <laughs> let them bother you. Right. Yeah. Because you know, nobody, goes, nobody goes insane logically. That's right. But people are looking. People are looking for him to go insane logically. So what? What doesn't make the, the narrative doesn't make any no. connective tissue. Well, why? Why? Well, do you ever? T- <laughs> yeah. Do you ever deal with a person who had been going through a breakdown, or or a person who was uh, leading towards violence of this kind? It, it, you can speak to a person. Uh, a very interesting picture was a uh, uh, Follies, uh, Fred Wiseman, mm-hmm. and uh, you listen to some of the fellows from the Insane Asylum talking. And uh, maybe they talk for two or three tomorrow. minutes. Oh, really? Fred is, yeah, uh, yeah. They talk to maybe two or three minutes, and you mm. say, the guy's perfectly sane. He's fine. Then at the end of it, suddenly he'll say something that is totally off the wall, yeah. like the United States is a grand... You know, as you're <laughs> saying this, I have to add something. You say this guy's having a breakdown. The very thing you're talking about takes place in the minds and fantasies of those of us 
what am I saying? Us, those we call normal, whatever mm -hmm. that may yes, mean today. Right. Normal people. The very nature of the way we think and talk today. I mean, would you say that some of the candidates for president are more rational or more enlightened than Travis Pickle? <laughs> I doubt well, it very you, much. You answered the question. <laughs> okay, so you've answered the question. Okay. You know, you're talking about the fantasy life. And the fantasy yeah, fantasy life. life. Too, fantasy life, too. Is, it's very important. It's the old code system, too, in a, in a way. It's very puritan puritanical in the sense he looks at Sybil and she comes out of the, out of the, the mass Sybil of people. Sybil is this upper-class girl. And, uh, you know, she's, she is, it's the old goddess in the horror complex, yeah. the old thing, you know. And uh, uh, it's, it, he, he just adores her like a goddess. He just adores her like a goddess, you know. But therefore, she's a human being. It's but as, 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 as uh, Paul said, knowing very well he'll fail. Of course. That he must fail. Because so we've so we come to something very interesting here, and that's this little girl, a remarkable thing. There's this 12-and-a-half-year-old hooker, this little girl. Now here we come to needs, don't we? Yeah. See, here is this guy who's violent. At the same time, we come to his, his standards, his values, that which he doesn't have, family. Life, a little girl is in the big city. Right. He wants her to have all the things that never worked for him. You know, he obviously came from the small town somewhere, and he didn't fit in that small town either. And he's come to New York, where uh, at least he won't be noticed for not fitting in. And he tries to tell this girl that uh, she has to go back and have all those uh, values and virtues that didn't work for him. But uh, it's also involved with a self-destruct mechanism because she is a whore, and he does first meet her as a client, yet he has chosen to befriend a whore of such an age that he psychologically could not uh, have intercourse with her because she is just too young. And the, uh, this is not you know, unrealistic. There are baby whores in New York, and the girl who played the role, Jodie Foster, was that age at the time. But uh, if he had chosen to fixate on, say, an 18-year-old prostitute, yeah, it, might have been. He, he, <coughs> it would have been much different. But she's, yeah. he, he wouldn't have been able to justify his own abstinence in the way that he justifies it now, and therefore just puts more pressure on himself. You, I was just saying he goes from the goddess to the child goddess, in a yes. sense, you know? It's very but interesting. It's something again, that, except, again, that he, does, he feels unclean himself, that he isn't, he isn't good enough to get, you know? He isn't good so enough to touch. We come to that now. But before, before we take the slight break, Mm -hmm. This question of lack of sense of worth is part mm -hmm. of it, key too, that he is not good enough, mm -hmm. that he's no good. Right. And it's when that act of violence is committed, for which he is honored, we'll come to this ir mm -hmm. ironic too here, uh, that suddenly he has no need, or it seems for the moment. But this matter, not good enough, that's part of, well again, this pervasive on our side, a feeling of worthlessness. That's also another. There are many dimensions to this, aren't there? Yeah. Yeah. We, we found uh, every year we worked on it, uh, we learned more. Yeah. It's one of those fortunate projects that grows in your mind. The, the more we think and talked about it, the richer it got. Even as I think about it, uh, during the, this conversation, this the morning or the afternoon after the night I saw it. And so now as I start thinking about the front, I think more and more dimensions to it. I shall see it again, of course, but I would, I was, let's, let's Think about this for a moment. We'll take a slight pause. We'll return to to uh, to uh, Martin Scorsese, the director, and Paul Schrader, the writer of Taxi Driver, the film that will be opening in Chicago, uh, February twenty seventh, in a number of theaters. Un momento. Our oh, resuming thoughts about the film Taxi Driver. We talked. You know what would be good here to me because I'm interested in Martin Scorsese and Paul Schrader. It's not accidental 
that this project came resumed. You keep interesting back. I, I think of this guy as a Puritan. This guy was one of You yourself came from a very... Well, I came from just uh, north of Chicago, from Grand Rapids, uh, and the Christian Reformed Church, which is a uh, Dutch uh, Calvinist uh, church. At the time I was raised there, it was a very, very strict uh, city, and the church uh, almost ruled the city. Uh, the media has broken down. The, the, the rule of the church is not quite what it used to be. But uh, I see the character as a kind, I, I felt the character was a kind of Midwestern uh, Protestant young man who had wandered in from frozen wasteland of Michigan by mistake into the heated, fetid atmosphere of a Catholic church. And he kept looking around and saying, what's, what's happening here? Uh, and that's part of the tension of the film is that um, my tastes are much more aesthetic and abstract uh, than Marty's. And part of the tension is that the character is isolated and cut off, yet he's forced and surrounded and enveloped by the, the mean streets. Uh, I think it was a very felicitous uh, combination because we both felt the same thematically about the film and our styles then could merge. Uh, in fact, as uh, you know, it, applied, it felt when you talk about the sense of not being good enough, I mean, Mean Streets opens with the main character talking to God and saying, I'm not even worthy to, um, in a sense, take communion. You know, he said, I'm not worthy to eat your flesh, not worthy to drink your blood. And I guess was it the old Jansenist thing where they, uh, yeah. you know, they wouldn't even go to communion. Go to, well, you know, that, that kind of a feeling. Well, that, well, that was the sense of the... Yeah, well, Jan Jansenism was the, the Roman Catholic version of Calvinism. Mm. Yes. But you see, what, what interests me, of course, I'm fascinated by the, by the fact that there's a creative tension here. Uh -huh. That you, the, you, your, the styles of you two is exactly the opposite. Even yes. as even talking, yeah. the volatility <laughs> of Martin and the sort of a casual throwaway way. I'm, I'm sure there's a great deal of <laughs> underneath and <laughs> tremendous passion. Well, but this is, and to me, this is terribly exciting. <laughs> this is what makes the film. <laughs> this is, you know, it's funny. Flannery O'Connor, a short story who's so fantastic, has this thing. It's the theology in the well of him. The river is one. The river is where the three yeah. kids. Where they have that wonderful monologue where he's preaching about going down to the and river. And the preacher. But the three kids, I like that connection with this film in which Three poor kids of the sitter for this little boy who's a different class. Uh, they're just tight and tense. They say nothing, and they throw him into the pig pen. And he runs screaming, and then they're kind of relieved a little. They're not happy, but they're kind of the tautness. And so this, in a sense, is Travis at the very end, too, isn't mm -hmm. it? See, it's just mm -hmm. crazy. We got, into, we got into a whole thing, too, about the religious aspects for me. You know, in a sense, he's, you know, he's got to have a kind of sacrifice and in, 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 in the Old Testament it's a blood sacrifice and it has to be blood sacrifice too and in the Old Testament it was uh, lambs and, and uh, you know whatever and this sort of thing yeah. and the New Testament is Christ coming down and saying well listen you don't have to I don't want lambs or whatever just here I'm doing it myself I'm son of God I bleed for everybody and that's it and I'll resurrect myself the third day and we're all everybody's, everybody's happy you just believe in me everything be terrific and uh, this is what yeah. Travis comes in like the yeah. God of the Old Testament but it has to be a blood sacrifice yeah. but at the same time he has to die himself. He knows he's going to die before he goes in, but of course he blows it. He doesn't die. Yeah, he does. <laughs> so right. it's very frustrating. By the way, it's an ironic <laughs> That's why, that's why the violence has to be so, so yeah. uh, graphic, because yeah. it's like a sacrifice. You know, there is, and I, uh, I'm sure this has come up many times, I thought, and it's not giving the film away, because you see the film, it's, it's a remarkable experience seeing the film. I thought it would end at a certain moment after this horrendous slaughter, the three policemen are there with the guns, and I said, what are they protecting? What <laughs> <laughs> a marvelous ending, either. However, you two guys had something else in mind. <laughs> oh, I'd forgotten for the moment Travis Bickle. And that's what about him? 
you see. And so his purge or his whatever comes through, his act of violence that is now, he's honored by the society because he did the good thing. He saved a 12-year-old girl from a nice middle-class background. Then you wonder about the girl, the voice of her father, yes. reading the letter. What's she going back to? And of course, exactly. Of course, she didn't want to go back. And of course, it made no difference to him. He was he was ready to kill uh, the presidential candidate. As ready as a, yeah. and uh, through some quirk of fate, he ended up killing a mafioso instead. But to him, uh, the film is not saying uh, pimps are equal to presidential candidates. It's just saying that to the, that frame of mind, the target is not as important yeah. as the need to attack. Yeah, what's what's so frightening is the arbitrariness of it. Yeah. 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 Well, now we come to another word, and that's what we're coming to: need. Need. Need in a perverse way, and need in a tremendous. Everybody needed in a way in this film. He had a great need to connect somehow, or to say, look at me, or recognize me. The girl, even self, the middle-class girl, you know, there's something missing there. She had a need track to this rather interesting, rather in contrast to the dull of her own class person. Exactly. But then comes a tremendous scene to me, and that's the little baby whore and the pimp, played yeah. very beautiful Harvey Kent, because he's using her when suddenly, as they're dancing, they need each other. Right. That's right. And you realize that the pimp can give his baby whore something that the main character, Travis, never can. He can hold her. He can embrace her. And strangely enough, he can make her feel loved. And, yeah. and that is what the main character lacks, is that ability to just reach out and hold her. Yeah. That's, that, that was the thing, because some, some people think thought the scene was uh, just a pimp doing a hustle on a, on a kid. And I said, no, 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 no. I said, the whole point of it is, mm-hmm. the whole point of it is that, is that he, he is serious about it. He is deadly serious about it, and she feels it. You know, he says, "I need you, and I need you, and uh, it's uh, every man should have a woman like you." And that's what he's, he's re- almost reciting uh, lyrics to a song, in a sense, almost like a musical sequence. In the, film. the funny thing is, it might have been in the beginning an act. Is that the point? It might have been, doesn't mm-hmm. matter, but no longer is. Right. This right. is so. This is another undercurrent of the film, isn't it? The, the tremendous need of connecting, connecting, isn't it? Yep. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, Travis is drawn to the city, you know because uh, the city c- can accelerate his own isolation and, and, and drive him, you know, uh, drive him into this frenzy. Uh, but uh, the same kinds of patterns are reenacted in, in Steubenville and, uh, and in Lima and wherever else. This is the point. Again, answer provincial New Yorkers think this film is an attack on them as say Ford would attack New York. It isn't on the contrary. You yeah. chose the most theatrical and dramatic exactly. uh, yeah. cities. Exactly. As a New Yorker, and I love it, New York, you know. And yeah, it's, but uh, it could be easily, yeah. could be could be Grand Rapids too, sure. could it not? Yeah. During, during one uh, attack at this level where, where a person was saying, you know, why did you do this to our city? Uh, I became very agitated because I was sick of hearing this attack and, and I, I stood up and, and I said, a uh, story from Picasso that Picasso had once painted uh, a picture which he called fish and a woman came up to him and said Mr. Picasso that doesn't look like a fish and he said madam that is not a fish that is a painting <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's the work itself you know one thing we touched on haven't I, I this hits me like this amount of fantasy fantasy life uh, the fantasy life of this guy helps him in a way, see it through the night, survive the night for better or for worse. And he's watching TV. Now we come to ersatz fantasy and real fantasy. Mm-hmm. He's watching TV and there's fantasy, but it's phony fantasy. And he, he's in, he, in his violence, he kicks the set over. Yeah. But his own fantasy is much more richer and horrendous in every way than the phony fantasy, which is much more full of life. We come to that, don't we, too? Yeah, well, I mean, uh, 
you know, con uh, society constantly reminds us and him of how out of it we are. The media propaganda, the advertising, which is now dominates our society in a way it didn't 25, uh, 50 or even 25 years ago, is a constant reminder to everyone how sexually inadequate, how lonely, how cut off they are. Everyone is, yeah. I mean, 50 years ago, people didn't feel this kind of pressure because they didn't have advertising Saying, and, get with and it. media constantly telling you you're unloved, uh, <laughs> yeah. you're not attractive yeah. enough. Now, every time you walk down the street, you see these beautiful icons on billboards saying, this is what you don't have. Yes. And, and, uh, it's a very destructive society in that way. And there's Travis Bickle. Now, perhaps let, let's talk about the, the, the world he lives in. This is interesting. The character. By the way, Martin Scorsese is a hell of an actor. <laughs> I didn't recognize him. The director is in this moment, and this is a strange little crazy figure who's watching that silhouetted woman who may be his wife up there with her lover. I'm going to kill it. And this guy gets everything. He hears everything. That's Travis Bickle. It's all poured into him. Either he's ignored or secrets are told. Mm -hmm. Everything. And this also adds to his growing burdens, yeah. doesn't it? And it's interesting, too, that the character in the back of the cab who's, who's uh, talking to the cabbie about uh, how he's going to kill his wife, what type of gun he's going to use, who she's up there with, that sort of thing, is, is, uh, is uh, obviously, um, uh, well, as much as possible, he obviously doesn't need, after talking about it, doesn't need to kill her. You know what I mean? So we just leave the scene that way. There the again. Two, the two of them just sitting there looking at a silhouette yeah. in the window and then yeah. cuts to the next scene. Yeah. You don't have to see the ending yeah. of it because so he's not going to do it. The man in the back seat who is, who is verbally accosting the cab driver using words as if, as if they were a blunt instrument, just hitting him, attacking <clears> him <throat> with obscenities, and, and the cab driver just keeps taking it in, ingesting it. And uh, at the end of the scene, you realize that the man in the back seat will never have to kill anybody. He'll yeah. be able to go back to work tomorrow. Travis. But the, the main character <laughs> in the main seat, you know, he, he's still, he's still sucking all He's taking it all in and it's still there. Because this, this was the purge. This yes. was the catharsis for the guy in the back seat. Exactly. The talking. Right. Meet him, this guy's getting it. He does it. He, <laughs> he gets his own purge later on. He can't get rid of it. Yeah. Right. By the way, so many last we talk it, it, it reflects the way we live, selling. The guy who sells him the guns. I think this is quite a scene. <laughs> but he'd sell him anything. He could. He could oh, sell yeah. drugs. I'm a Cadillac, too. Yes, yes, and it's this, he's a good salesman. Mm -hmm. Let's put that. This guy is a very... It was a good lesson in salesmanship, was it not? Yes. It was primary salesmanship, yes. was it not? Right. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, the uh, the scene had to be cut for length. But, but we uh, had more in there. Yeah, but but by, by, by in the original scene, he was selling everything. You know, he, he would have sold anything that moved. He had, he had down. He had, my God, he had, uh, besides drugs and, and Cadillacs, he had other scenes where it was really terribly funny. And the fellow who acted the part was uh, uh, never acted before. Uh, really? Stephen Prince, he, he's a road manager for Neil Diamond, actually. <laughs> so therefore, he was involved yeah. so he with commercialism. Knew, he knew, he knew what he to knew sell, how to do it, where to go. Well. He knew exactly. So it was really yeah. just to do your routine, you know. It was really uh, a lot of fun. That was uh, well. Throughout, we have this. Well, all of a sudden, we're looking at ourselves, the world we live in, every aspect, through this one figure, uh, to what happens to him, and things bounce. What two things are happening, or many things? That things are bouncing against him at the same time, affecting him, and he bounces back. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, yeah, just like we said before, uh, uh, the horror of the movie is living inside that man's mind, and it's a very closed-off, terrifying place to live. And for the most part, you don't really escape his view of things. You, sh you know, he it, cab drivers all don't work around Forty Second Street. It I mean, just so happens right. that's his view. That's his view. In yeah. other words, we show we show Forty Second Street. He 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 stays on Forty Second Street. 
And when some, somebody once mentioned, uh, how many times can you make a metaphor yeah, right. of 8th, 8th Avenue by between 48, 42nd and 48th? Yeah. That's where he goes. So that so world, yeah. by the way, this has so many implications. That world, that street becomes his area, just right. as the pornographic film, the only kind of film there is. A certain kind of book, only kind of book there is. You know, kids right. in ghetto streets, I'm sure the ghettos are also in suburbs too, middle class yeah. ghettos. You know, many kids in Chicago didn't know there was an escalator downtown. Yes. We're talking about that too, aren't we? Yeah. They didn't know about Lake Michigan. They knew the block, that block, two blocks is the world. Right. Well, see, I, I, way I was raised, I was cut off too. I mean, I, like I didn't see movies until I was about, uh, I snuck off, saw my first movie when I was 18. But I never felt deprived as a child because I was told that this was the whole world. There was only our church and our, our church society and everybody else were sort of misfits and there were a few of them, but they weren't interesting and you didn't talk to them. And uh, so that kind of isolation, religious isolation, is uh, I think the sort of isolation that this character uh, is oriented to. Martin, this last thing that Paul said is fascinating. Each of us, it seems, has lived this narrow well, in, absolutely. in different ways, in different ways. Absolutely. In my Paul. case, of course, it was uh, downtown Little Italy, yeah. And I, I, I've, the first time I really ventured into um, uh, Greenwich Village was only four, four blocks away. It was when I went to NYU in 1960 as a freshman, literally. Yeah. And uh, uh, came, came into contact with uh, different uh, nationalities, different groups, uh, Jews, you know. Uh, people who are uh, totally different uh, uh, financial strata, yeah. a completely different. You know, thing. just as you say that, I think you used obviously a certain voice as the voice of the girl, the little baby hooker who finally goes back home, thanking Travis for rescuing her. And it's a flat, dead voice. Yeah. What is she going back to? We come yes. back to that again. Grand Rapids. Mm. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, it's, it is uh, slightly ironic. Uh, what is she going back to? I mean, uh, she, uh, she, as she tells him, you know, the reason I don't run away is because I have no place to no go. No place to go. Yeah. But, uh, the the ending, uh, which uh, some people have accused, uh, say is a, a justification, uh, it, it to me is multifaceted. And you spoke of two endings of the film, and there are two endings. And I think the reason for the second ending is that it opens the film up again because we the film is becoming narrow and narrow and finally it closes down and it's like shutting off an iris and then you open up the film again and you say there are, there are other ways to see this you know mm -hmm. uh, and uh, it and uh, and it's really healthy to hear people giving in different interpretations to the end of the film yeah and it's also very interesting too that uh, at one point uh, towards the end the protagonist is called a hero for what he does mm. uh, and people also that's outrageous so no 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 so go, go back and now look at uh, heroes through the ages and think of them. Think of them in these terms. Yeah. Think of them the way they've been presented to us, and think about the actual, real stories that might have actually gone on, or saints. Mm. Think of the actual real. That's right. Yeah. One of the real. Yeah. the real story a saint of, going of around Travis around, Spectre, You know, uh, a saint going yeah. around whipping himself and uh, cutting off people's arms. God knows what. You know, <laughs> uh, you know, man must have been a madman or something. But yet he was a saint. So you say. Uh, but go back and look at the different heroes. I mean, it's very interesting to see all. See, like the line in the longest day when Kurt Jurgens. As the Nazi general sits down, he says, sometimes I wonder whose side God is on. Because <laughs> <laughs> you know? you, you, what, what uh, Martin Scorsese and Paul Schrader are doing really is saying, here is a way it is, a situation. We're not saying this is the way it should be. This is no, the way no. it is. Right. Now, what should be is something you leave. Mm -hmm. I'm sure this is what works of art are about, that there may, that the, indeed, if we are not nuts and we are, uh, quote, unquote, civilized, there has to be another way. You're saying this is how it is. Right. Mm -hmm. now, yeah, I mean, the, at the ending, we had three different uh, opinions, all of which I think are partially valid. The one which Marty and I adhered to was that 
uh, he, through irony, it cheated out of the thing he wanted most, which was glorious self-destruction, and now it's forced to reenact the drama, and the movie has to start all over again. Everything yeah. is in place, yeah. and we'll start it over. Someone else told me, he says, this character will never again in his whole life do anything interesting. He has done his one definitive act, and he will now merge into the crowd and become a, a total nobody. <laughs> and, and that's an interesting interpretation. And the third interpretation is that he has somehow become a better person. Which I don't agree which with. I don't agree with at all. Which I don't agree with at all, but, but people do make a, a kind of case for it. An interesting thing, a priest, uh, an old friend of mine, saw the film and said, and leaned over to me and said, I'm glad you didn't end it on Good Friday. You waited till Easter Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> what was your first interpretation? Uh, our interpretation was yeah. the one I mentioned, which is that one. now the movie you know, must start over again. Ah, yeah. It's like a time bomb. starting. Because he might. Sure. Then as you leave, I remember the shot his eyes again. The girl leaves, this upper-class girl, uh, he doesn't need her. They didn't even charge her. It's okay. She there again. She knows a part of a phony world. He's now a celebrity. But well, we haven't talked about that. Yes, I know. a new aspect. And Frank, he's a celebrity. I read about you in the papers. Right. Something. She looks at him differently, doesn't yeah. she? Yes, she does. Yeah. I mean, there is this thing in our culture which says to be well known uh, is to be good, is to be important. It doesn't matter what you are well known yeah, for. Of course. And that is a very dangerous, insidious. Uh, 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 result of mass media, where it is possible to become well-known in communities where people don't know you. Whereas in the old, the small communities, if so-and-so did something and everybody knew about it, but they, everybody knew him too, and they say, oh, you know, Crazy Joe, he's just, you know, he, he's just a <laughs> he troublemaker. Just trouble, right. But now Crazy Joe gets on the cover of uh, Newsweek, and, of course. and everybody says, well, he must be an important he person. Important. You know, if Momo Giancana was still alive, I know this would be so. Every now and then run to him vaguely, see. He, he could wander into a cocktail party, Momo Giancana, alleged head of the syndicate. Right. Yeah. He can remember, after all, the CIA called upon him. Yes. So he, 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 he could wander in a cocktail party during the Vietnam War, saying his upper clan, he's hey, that's Momo Giancana. Comes with the smoke glasses on and everything. What did he say? He said, bomb Hanoi. Did you hear what he said? <laughs> Momo Giancana said, bomb Hanoi. Well, now, someone important said it because he's celebrated. He's known. Who is that? It's Momo Giancana. He said, bomb Hanoi. Well, it has to be taken seriously. That's what you're that's talking about. There's, a, there's another element, too, in that last scene with uh, Sybil as uh, she gets in the cab. Uh, and that is more of a human element in the sense that I don't, I don't necessarily think that uh, the character would be uh, so shallow that she'd be really talking and pleased to see Travis uh, and say, gee, I read about you in the papers. I think she's, she's yes, there's that element there, yeah. but basically, you know, she's, she was afraid of him. She escaped from him in a sense, and she really is in a very, very awkward situation. Very often, very often in, a, in, a, in New York, you get into taxi cabs. Very often, you get the same driver all the time. It's happened to me. It's, a, uh, it's happened to a lot of friends of mine. But... Uh, uh, she's trying to make conversation. She has nowhere else to go. And there is a touch of, yes, she's a celebrity, but still, yeah. there is, it cuts to his eyes, uh, the way yeah. she looks at him. Uh, she doesn't know what to say. Uh, yeah. It's kind of a, fr we played it for both ways. We played it, we played it for a kind of tension yeah. and a fear on her part a little, yes, too. Yes, there is that, you too. Know, but, of course, he smiles a lot. Yeah. He has a very winning smile. Yeah. You know? The other aspect, by the way, is we haven't talked about the gathering place. This is interesting. Where the cab drivers oh, gather yeah. and the different ones and the part Peter Boyle plays. Yes. Who they think knows. Because that's the inarticulateness of all of them, isn't yes, it? Yes, anyway. of course. Yeah, Peter Boyle's speech about uh, he tries to help Travis, and Travis asks him, uh, has, asks him for some uh, psychological, uh, some philosoph philosophical advice of some sort. He says, well, in fact, he can't even get the words out. But Peter's, Peter goes into this long uh, diatribe about uh, uh, people um, uh, growing up, people dying, people getting born. Some people live on Park Avenue. Some people live. <laughs> then he says, you know, I mean, it, it makes him angry. Yeah, it's <laughs> and he can't commit himself to anything. It's, no. it's, it's just, uh, I think, a marvelous yeah, little I mean, bit. It, it's, what, it's, what that, it's what the cab driver needs to survive, and it's what Travis can't settle for. 
and uh, you know Travis can't settle for that superficial yeah. uh, uh, cynicism that allows us to go about our business. He wants to have a right, a wrong. He wants to cut through. He wants to right. mean something to be somebody, and he so he, therefore he can't settle for uh, a normal life. In the in the fifties, in the fifties, my friends, the the film I made about them in uh, Mean Streets, the guys, the characters, uh, when Vietnam started, they were still my friends, and the Vietnam situation started, and we we grew up in the fifties, and one time one of my friends turned to me, one of the characters that the film is based on. Uh, Joey, and he turned to me and says, it isn't simpler, he said in the 50s, everything was either black or white. You know, that's it. Now all of a sudden, yeah. you know, somebody's wrong, another guy's yeah. right, but he's half right. Then this yeah. guy's wrong, but he wants yeah. to do this. And he says, it's impossible. You know, yeah. says, black and white in the 50s yeah. are much easier. Yeah. You know? <laughs> but, see, Travis Bickle is a moralist. We come back again, see. He can't accept the, what, the, the lack of standards yes. in his own, moral standards. Mm -hmm. That's part of it too, isn't it? And he can't accept his own attraction to it. I mean, uh, he's a man, he's a man, one of his first lines in the movie is uh, in his diary says, I do not believe one should devote his life to, 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 self and, uh, to morbid self-attention yeah. and then proceeds to do that for the rest of the movie. He assails pornography, yet can't stop watching it. Uh, he, he, can't, uh, he, he wants something to be right and wrong, yet he can't he straighten can't, the two out. He can't deal with the, wh what's human about him. You know, wh what's uh, really, he can't, can't face his own feelings and deal with what's human about him. That's the same thing with the, the, a few of those critics were telling me. You know, I said they were very, very upset because they don't want to face that. I said, well, it's uh, something you have to. There again, we come to this aspect. Another, another dimension. Uh, uh, Paul. There was, a, there was a letter in the current issue of Playboy. And I, just, I showed it to the producer. I said, Travis Bickle has written into Playboy. Oh, my God. And it was a letter, a guy attacking oral sex and saying how terrible it was. And then went on for five or six sentences to describe why it was so terrible. The sensation, the smell, everything. And that's exactly the problem. A man who feels it's terrible, yet then relishes it in describing it. You know? Yes. My, my feelings my feelings get very strong about Travis because uh, it, it gets extremely personal. In the sense that one, uh, we were at a dinner party recently, and somebody was talking about the uh, sexual, um, sexual uh, goings-on of uh, 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 a late president. And I was sitting there, and I was at uh, well, Washington, D.C., I get very upset about Washington, D.C. when I think of Vietnam, when I think of everything. And uh, I literally started to say, someday, someday, it's going to be all cleaned out. <laughs> it's going to be all cleaned out. And the, and the person who was with me uh, said, you mean a real rain is going to come and really wash it off the streets, which is the line Travis Bickle yeah. says in the film. Yeah. It's, it's exactly yeah. that. You know, the whole time-life yeah. playboy syndrome yeah. right down the drain. Yeah. Take them yeah. all down, take them right down with us. And it suddenly began to realize, that's, that's a part of me. It's what I feel. It's of what course, I, you know. Of course, you know, think is, this is, of course, what, isn't this what the censure, the censure oh, is God. all about? Yes. Their obsession with it. One little anecdote, very quick. We have time. And it's during the time, uh, James Baldwin wrote a book. It wasn't a very good one, Another Country. Yeah. But... Uh, some adult education teacher in town suggested it optional for the class. A 26-year-old woman student showed it to her father, who objected. It was a horrible book. <laughs> and so a number of us were called down to the city council on behalf of the Civil Liberties Union. The book is not very good novel, but the point is to fight naturally for its right. And so my turn, I'm, I'm going to read something from. Meantime, a whole lot of old women are there, and some guys, young guys, with buttons. Uh, literature, yes, smut, no. They had all the books marked, the book all marked. I said, page 324, or whatever it was, 220 I'm going to read from. And they turned to it, and one older one says, you're not going to read that, and one says, it's no, no dirty word. So I read it, and it's a sermon, a eulogy, on the behalf of this dead kid by the preacher. And they're turning, and they're disappointed. And I said, you're disappointed, ain't you? <laughs> and they're furious! <laughs> they want to hit me, they want to <laughs> slug me. Yeah. This is what it's about, too, of isn't course, it? Of course, of course. Right.
<laughs> this is what it's about, too, isn't it? The, mm. the very, and also the question of morality. Martin's talking about that conversation with those people. The immorality is somebody going to bed with somebody, but nothing to do with B-52s. Exactly. On people exactly. That you're talking about. Exactly. Man, it's yeah. people are dead. Let them rest. Mm. Human beings, you know. <laughs> but this is what we're talking about. So where, where does this leave us now? With this film, we've come to a, we, we, there are about ten different faces we've looked at, aren't we now? Of this film, it just amazes me that sometimes people uh, uh, look at the character. And they say, "Well, uh, he's illogical. He doesn't seem to uh, have any consistency." As he goes, "Well, that's the point." <laughs> that's the thing you were talking about before—the schizophrenic, uh, uh, the Bobby, what we're talking about Bobby attitude. Well, I mean, what the film is about is a dilemma and not a problem. Problems have solutions. Most movies are about problems because that's fantasy. That's what we enjoy. We movies love to be about problems because then they can be solved and the movie can be over and you can go out thinking something has been accomplished. Right. This is not about a. This is about a dilemma. Therefore, the only thing you can do with the dilemma is explain and explore. And therefore, you can never solve it. So you walk out of the movie saying, "All I know is I know the dilemma better, but I don't uh, know the answer." And uh, I mean, to pose a solution to a dilemma is, is, is to to lie. Yeah. Well, that to me is a pretty good challenge right there, and also a work of a very exciting and I think important film. The very fact that we're talking about it this way, and I'm sure that the audience will too, there'll be discussions, there'll be arguments, which is oh, yes. marvelous, <laughs> which is wonderful. Imagine then, then forgetting a film, talking about and talking about something else. You know it's not worth it. This is obviously this taxi driver, and had the delight of talking with the director, Martin Scorsese, and the writer, Paul Schrader. You know, and it'll be playing in a number of theaters in Chicago, uh, starting... February 27th on a Friday. And we open with those two songs, maybe we close with the same idea. See how it sounds now after this hour. And thank you very much, and congratulations. Uh, thank, thank you. you.